All right, we've been going through a study on the fruits of the Spirit. Tonight, our topic is kindness and goodness. Roddy said, I can think of a lot more people that would be good at talking about that than you. So I don't know what he meant by that, but uh, <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible with you, there's a copy in the uh, pew back in front of you. Feel free to pull that out. If you don't have one, need one, take it home with you after we're through. You'll notice that uh, I'm not reading out of the ESV version. I read out of the Holman. But most of it is very close to what you'll read in the ESV. So just pick up your scripture and follow along. Our scripture tonight starts out in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Hope you got a, an outline as you came in. It'll help you follow along with where we're going. You'll notice several scriptures there, and, and uh, we'll, we'll look at those as we go through, but I'm going to add several as we, as we talk. So feel free to turn it over and, and uh, make a notation on the backside if you need to. As you follow through the outline, you'll notice on occasion that I'm going to chase a rabbit. Just put your finger right there, and I'll be back to you in just a minute. Y'all can pick it right up where I left off. All right? Good enough? Let's talk a little bit about basic principles. Mike shared with you, and Joe did too, some of the basic principles of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll notice, first of all, that fruit of the Spirit is singular. There's only one. And it's manifested in several different ways. It's not like the works of the Spirit that, that uh, Paul talks about up there a little bit earlier where you can have different works of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's produced by God's Spirit, and it's only found in the life of believers. Now, that's not to say that a non-believer is not going to manifest joy on occasion or kindness or goodness. It's just not natural for them to do so. But it is natural for the believer to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. It's always produced completely in every believer. It's not something that you're going to get uh, one of these or maybe two of them, but you've got all nine of them if you're a believer already within your life. It's no matter how faintly they might be manifested, you do have all of them. Most of us on occasions don't feel kind. We don't feel good. We don't feel joyful. But just because we don't feel that way, that is still a part of our life. That is still part of, of what the Spirit has put within us. Fruit of the Spirit is an attitude fruit and not an action fruit. By that I mean that it's part of that inner part of you. That's what you feel. That's how you respond rather than how you act. Listed some examples of action fruit there. First one is Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Praise is an action fruit. That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to praise God through our prayers. We're supposed to praise God through our worship, during our song service. This is, a, this is an action a fruit of praising the Lord. Next one is 1 Corinthians sixteen fifteen. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. This is an example of, of winning converts. If you share a testimony or present the plan of salvation to someone, this is uh, an action fruit that you're accomplishing. The last one there listed is Colossians 1.10. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in knowledge of God. This is godly work in general. The things that we're supposed to be doing uh, is, is part of our action. Fruit of the Spirit never fails to produce some fruit in a believer's life. 
John 15, 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove you are my disciples. All of us as believers will produce some fruit. But God's desire is that we produce much fruit. And it only happens when we allow the Spirit to work within our lives and, and to uh, increase that Spirit or that fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is an outward indicator of salvation. Matthew seven sixteen through 18 says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? It's the same, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. We are known by the fruit that we produce. Um, all of us can look at a non-believer and and see the results of the fruit in their life and, and recognize rather rather easily that, that they are non-believers. It's kind of tough sometimes to look at believers and, and still not see some of the fruit that we're supposed to see. And it's not being judgmental. It's just recognizing the fruit that's there. Um, folks, we're supposed to produce good fruit because we are believers, because we are the good tree. All nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit are commanded of all believers. All right, let's look a little bit at kindness specifically as a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness relates to tender concern for others. The word is descriptive of one's disposition and does not necessarily entail acts of goodness. It emphasizes the spirit in which an act is done. It's the genuine desire of a believer to treat others gently as God treats us. It implies a more active expression of love towards God and fellow man that may reveal itself in acts of kindness. It may take the sacrifice of time or energy. It may take the discipline to be thoughtful of others' needs. It may cause us to make the effort to act. How much effort does it take to pay a visit to someone? How much effort is required to say a word of encouragement or comfort to someone who needs it? How much effort is required to show friendliness by shaking hands? Those of y'all that uh, have spent any time with my wife at all realize that she is one of the better examples of kindness that I could ever, ever come up with. She spends her time encouraging people through email, through notes, saying a kind word to you when she sees you. Me, on the other hand, she has to drag me kicking and screaming to do some of these things. Uh, that's just not my nature. I realize that I'm supposed to show kindness, but uh, I have to work at it a whole lot harder. For her, it just seems to come natural. Kindness has nothing to do with weakness or lack of conviction. Jesus was one of the kindest persons ever, but he was not weak. He never had a lack of conviction. So kindness is not an indication that we're weak. Paul helps define kindness in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And we didn't seek glory among people, neither from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden in Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Folks, is there any better picture of kindness than a mother nursing her child? I don't think you can, I don't think you can come up with one. David was an example. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 13 is a story of, of David showing kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. It's easy for y'all to say. If you remember that story... 
Saul and all of his sons had been killed in battle. And uh, <clears throat> David had consolidated Israel and Judah into one kingdom. He had begun to rule and to govern. And he asked one of Saul's servants if there was anyone left in Saul's household alive. And he said, yes, there is. There is one young man, Jonathan's son. So David had him come to him. And, and uh, Ephesians thought at the time that he was fixing to be killed because it was common for uh, victorious kings in those days to kill all of the remaining family members just to keep from uh, uh, having a, someone maybe try to usurp the throne. But David surprised them all, and he told the servant uh, who had brought him to him, said, you and your sons will work Saul's lands. I'm going to give them back to Jonathan's son, and you're going to work the land. But I want him to eat at my table from now on. So he was showing kindness to Jonathan's surviving son. Now, you might think that David was doing this simply because of his relationship with Jonathan. You know, Jonathan and he had a very, very good relationship. There was a love there that, uh, that is not common among most people. But that is not exactly why or not the only reason why David was showing uh, kindness. It's an object lesson for us and our responsibility to perform acts of kindness. But it also shows the condition of David's heart and why he was so beloved by God. He just had that kindness. David recognized that he was a sinner, but he had received undeserved kindness and mercy from God. And it was this realization that was set the pattern for how he would respond to other people throughout his life. But Jesus is our best example. Matthew 19, verses 13 14 said, Then children were brought to him so that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. Jesus always had time to spend with the children. He was spending time with folks that were down and out, those that were less loved by other people. That was just his nature. Matthew 11, 28, 29 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourself. He's encouraging us to come to him. Cast our cares upon him. Let him work in our life. He's just gentle, a kind individual. Maybe the best verse that we all recognize to illustrate kindness, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. While we were still sinners, lost in our sin, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place to give us eternal life. We couldn't earn and we certainly didn't deserve. God's gifts of life are unenforced, or unforced rather. It's a manifestation of his kind nature. He does not return evil for evil. He does not bear grudges. He does not plot to get even. He does not harbor resentment. Instead, he gives freely to sinners while he works towards completion of his purpose. Aren't you glad? We would be in a world of hurt if God kept tabs on us. And if he repaid evil for evil, if he held grudges, um, I'm so thankful 
that he does not do that. What is that purpose there that he talks about? Um, if you look back over Romans chapter 8, a couple of verses there, verse 28 and 29. 28 is that favorite verse for all of us. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Most of us forget to read the next verse. So for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he could be the firstborn among many brothers. That's his purpose in our life, is to conform us to the image of Jesus. All of those things that happen in our life is, is part of that working out for the good of us that, uh, that are called to his purpose. Kindness is to be evident in all believers. 2 Corinthians 6, 6 says, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. It's the part of a whole list of attitudes that every believer has got to uh, exhibit. Kindness is also command. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's slave must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to learn and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Folks, we're not to quarrel. We're not to tell tales. We're not to gossip. We're not to argue. We're not to talk down to people, but we're to show kindness and to goodness. When we do those things, uh, kindness is not a part of our life. Doing an act of kindness may sometimes be difficult. But Jesus did it. Didn't matter how tired he was. Didn't matter how much pain he was in. Didn't matter how much was going on in his life. He still had the time to do those kind deeds for everyone. And folks, he's conforming us into his image. So we're commanded to do the same thing. We are to show those acts of kindness and goodness uh, to others. And the sweet thing about it is he's given us his spirit already working in our lives to enable us to accomplish these things. We don't have to do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. But he's already provided the spirit within us to, to uh, accomplish that. Kindness is something that we've got to develop. We can, it, and, if, and we can do it because God has already enabled us by his spirit. Um, we can do it if he chooses, if we choose to humble ourselves and act when, he, when we become aware of the need of the brother or the church. What's to be our motivation? Matthew 25, verse 34 and 36 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited with me. Y'all remember back in January and February as we went through the study Radical, this was one of those verses that, uh, that we studied. And out of that came uh, our Living Water Project that we've, we've been involved with for the last uh, several months. And God impressed uh, Robbie that uh, uh, needed to be serious about this particular scripture. A couple of weeks ago, Andy and I were in Cambodia looking at this project and, and uh, the upcoming trip. And much of that went very much like what, what we anticipated. But they shared one thing with us that just absolutely floored me. He said one out of five children in Cambodia die before the age of five from easily preventable disease. They don't have clean water. They don't have uh, the understanding of, of hygiene. They don't know how to wash their hands. They don't know how to stay clean. Things that we take for granted 
um, is a common cause of death among children in Cambodia. 20% of the children uh, in Cambodia die. Saw another statistic today that said 78.5% of the world's, world's poor people live in India, China, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Nigeria. 78.5% of the world's poor people live in those five nations. I don't think it would be a surprise to you to learn that 463 million of the people living in those same five countries are undernourished. They just flat do not have enough food to eat on a daily basis. Nehemiah is a, is a story about uh, one of the Jewish young men that was taken into captivity and served as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. One day, one of the uh, fellow Jewish uh, residents of Jerusalem came in to where Nehemiah was, and Nehemiah asked him, how are things in Jerusalem? Well, the young man told him, he said, the walls are torn down. The gates have been destroyed. Plunder is still going on. Plundering is still going on because of, of warring groups coming in. And Nehemiah was so brokenhearted that he sat down and wept. After that, he got up and prayed. In the prayer in, in the first chapter of, of Nehemiah, he did three things. First of all, he praised God for his goodness, for his faithfulness. Then he uh, repented and confessed of his sins, not only for himself, but also for his, for his countrymen. And then he asked God for favor and for guidance in what to do next. When he next went into King Artaxerxes, he uh, was, was told, he said, Nehemiah, you're looking sad. What's the matter with you? I've never seen you sad in my presence before. Nehemiah said, well, why shouldn't I be sad? The walls of my home city are destroyed. There are no gates to protect them. People continue to rob uh, the area. So why shouldn't I be sad? The king said, well, what would you have me to do? And Nehemiah says, let me go and rebuild the wall. Y'all remember that story? Curtis preached on that uh, here a few months ago. But what, folks, what's it going to take for you and I to be heartbroken for those 20% of the children in Cambodia that die before they're age five and sit down and weep? Folks, what's it going to take for you and I to be heartbroken over those 463 million people that don't have enough to eat? What's it going to take for us to be brokenhearted over the lostness of our city and of our nation to the extent that we sit down and weep? It's only when we're brokenhearted enough that we can call out to God and allow him to work in our lives. When we're brokenhearted, then we seek God. When we seek God and call out to him, then he can work in our lives and bring us to that place that Nehemiah was Somebody's got to do something. Why not me? Why not us? Somebody's got to do it. Folks, why isn't it going to be us? Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness has to do with moral and spiritual excellence. It's the inner qualities of virtue, excellence of character, morality, and attitude that we see in a person's behavior. It's a word that indicates zealous activity and doing good. 
It does not spare rebuke to produce good in others. Did you catch that? Goodness doesn't spare rebuke for doing good to others. God is the picture of goodness, yet he corrects. Sometimes pretty severely, um, I can attest to that. But God accomplishes what he, what he wants to accomplish by correcting us. Uh, and we as parents correct our children in an effort to produce um, responsible adults. And that's considered to be good. We don't let our children do what they want to. Um, the courts are, are full of young men and young women that have never had that opportunity to be corrected. And we're paying for that. So goodness does not spare rebuke to produce good in others. Biblical goodness is always, under every circumstance, beneficial. This fruit is more inward, touching on every thought, word, or action. Motives have to be right before we can call an action good. Our central motive must be in loving God and regarding his will in all things. The good man's righteousness, or his right doing, flows from an inward devotion and love towards God. True, God, true goodness is godliness. And godliness is a soul condition for every goodness that comes forth. A good person may have failures, but it's the direction of his desires and motives that gradually determine his character, not necessarily the degree of the perfection that he has. A couple of examples. David um, had an affair with Bathsheba. And when he was found out that she was pregnant, he arranged to have her husband Uriah murdered. Yet God said David was a man after his own heart. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Paul had to confront him and rebuke him because he was wishy-washy with the way that he was treating the Gentiles. But Peter sacrificed his life willingly in service to God and to the church. Paul helps to define the virtue of goodness. Romans 5, 7 says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. A Christian can be morally upright, but still not manifest the grace of goodness. We may uh, exhibit part of these fruit of the spirits out of our own abilities and just not have, um, have that living within us at the, at the max at the moment. The same person may be admired and respected for his high moral standards and might even have a friend who would risk his life for him. But the upright person who has goodness is much more likely to have self-sacrificing friends. A couple of stories about different Joseph that uh, show the goodness. First one's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. It says, So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. When Joseph found out that uh, Mary was pregnant, he naturally assumed that uh, she had been unfaithful. He had not yet been, uh, been visited by the Holy Spirit or the angel and, and explained uh, why she was pregnant. But uh, because he was righteous, he just didn't feel like he could marry her. But he was a good man also. And he didn't want to embarrass her by divorcing her publicly. So he decided to, to, uh, to put her away separately, separately and privately. Um, so Joseph was a good man. He, he showed that characteristic. The other one, the other Joseph, uh, we hear that, read that story in, in Genesis 37 through 50. You remember that Joseph was the favorite son. And he also had a couple of dreams that just drove his brothers to absolute jealousy. 
to the extent that they sold him into slavery. When Joseph got to Egypt, he became uh, part of Potiphar's household and quickly rose to, to being in control of all things there. Potiphar's wife uh, took a shine to Joseph, and when he ignored her, she accused him of attempted rape, had him thrown into jail. While he was in jail, he met the king's baker and cupbearer, was able to interpret a couple of dreams for them, helped them to get out of prison, and they quickly uh, forgot about him. Until finally one day he was freed, went to serve in, in uh, Pharaoh's court, and before long became the second most powerful man uh, in all of Egypt. The story goes on, and, and famine comes to uh, Egypt. It also stretches all the way across to Canaan, where Joseph's family is still living. And his brothers come to Egypt to buy grain so that they might have enough to eat. Over a period of time, uh, Joseph in, is kind of toys with his brothers there. And finally, in, in chapter 45, he reveals who he is. And, uh, uh, of course, they're afraid that, that they're fixing to be killed for what they've done. But verse 5 of chapter 45, it says, And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Verse 14 to 15, that same chapter it says, then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. You know, Joseph could have been bitter because of the experiences that, that he faced. Um, he'd been up, he'd been down, he'd been up, he'd been down, and it had been very easy to become bitter. But Joseph was not concerned about himself. He was always focusing uh, on the good of other people. David had an understanding of God's goodness. Uh, Psalms 23 verse 6 says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness to David throughout his life. David realized and fully expected to continue having that close fellowship uh, with the Father. Believers are also commanded to exemplify goodness. In Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, we, was, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We're to work for the good of those who belong to the household of faith. It goes back to what we talked about before. We don't gossip about our brothers and sisters. We don't talk down about our brothers and sisters. We support them. We lift them up. We pray for them. We encourage them. That's what we're to be doing. Second Thessalonians 1, 11, In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of his calling and will by his power fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith. God is the source of all that can truly be called good. He doesn't just have it or do it. He is good. And he desires that you and I have that same goodness. He gives us everything we need, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, the health that we have to do our jobs, roof overhead. It's all a gift from God. He's patient with us. And he forgives us. He doesn't hold what we do against us. Doesn't make us pay for it like we need to. And he moves us forward with his purposes. Ephesians 5, 89 says, For you who were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
The light that we are to reveal is goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is a light that others need to see in us and look to as an example. Jesus gave us a perfect example to follow. Scripture tells us that he healed all who came to him without regard to who they were. He rebuked those who had the power to do good but didn't do it. He ate with respectable people, and he kept company with publicans and sinners. He didn't come for those that were well, but for those that needed a physician. God is creating us in his image and drawing out of us his goodness to witness that he is our God and to make us ready for his kingdom. He has given gifts to his children to serve him in the church. We need to take every opportunity to yield to his spirit for this purpose and to work to develop the goodness that's in this fruit.